I don't see uh, as of yet a widespread adoption of the cryptocurrency. I don't see my friends uh, uh, um, um, paying with Bitcoin, paying with Monero um, every day. I, I, I don't receive my salary uh, in Monero or in Bitcoin. So I believe people are so afraid of the, that everybody could see the trans, uh, their transactions. That's something, else, of course, that we don't want to. I, I don't want people to know how much I have in my bank account uh, or if I went to this place to have a burger or that's something uh, that's not desirable. So with, with privacy preserving uh, um, cryptocurrencies such as Monero, we, we can like deal with this obstacle. Monero Talk is sponsored by KCWallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, peace of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Francois-Xavier Witch, a first-year PhD student in the Cryptology and Data Security Group at the University of Bern, who has done a lot of research on Monero privacy and untraceability. Together, they discuss Francois' research on privacy and crypto, comparison of different privacy blockchains and privacy tech, how the untraceability of Monero works and how effective it is, the ethics of working for a blockchain surveillance company, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. All right. Good morning, Francois. I'm going, I'm going with Francois. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, let's go with Francois. Uh, well, I guess, I guess good afternoon for you, right? Yes, yes, it's in the afternoons around 1 p.m. Where are you at? I mean, you don't have to give us your, your exact location, but... Uh, so exact location is the University of Bern, uh, Institute of Computer Science, um, I may even give you the address, but basically it's in Bern. It's uh, near the station of Bern. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, which I guess leads to my, my first question. Um, who are you? Uh, well, I'm first year PhD student. And I'm working on privacy preserving mechanism, privacy uh, preserving blockchain, and for now, my work has, uh, has been on defining exactly what privacy is in the blockchain uh, and cryptocurrencies. Also, I want to, to, to also expand my definitions to other cryptocurrencies, not necessarily decentralized as we have with uh, Monero, but other schemes are a bit more centralized like the for example, the original eCash of David Chaum, mm -hmm. like the godfather of uh, cryptocurrency. 
Okay. And so, yes, um, I think that's already good of a view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So I, I was introduced to you or, or met you for the first time at MoneroCon this summer. Yes. Um, yeah. I actually didn't really get to catch your, your presentation because I was running around. I watched it afterwards. I saw you basically gave a presentation on the uh, un untraceability and unlinkability, and yes, indeed. applying these these concepts to Bitcoin, Monero, Zcash, uh, but in a very analytical database or mathematical uh, uh, from a mathematical angle of, of 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 viewing the blockchain. I'll be honest with you; I didn't completely understand it. No, I understand <laughs> just of what you were what you were saying. But when I'm looking at the slides and seeing all the math, I was like, I was like, all right, all right, all right this, is, this is a little over my head. So we'll, we'll get we'll get into that. It's very interesting. But I yeah, guess yeah, I understand. Uh, I mean, I'm here for that, so to yeah. explain a bit better. Let so let's delve, delve in a little deeper though into your you know into your background. Um, how'd you get into all this? You're you started off as like a like a like a math guy that found that found crypto, or have you been it? You know, you seem like a pretty young guy. Like, were you uh, into cryptocurrency and then went down this went down this field in your personal life? You know, the the math math field. So I, I did my bachelor and master in computer science, and um, then I interest uh, well, I had some interesting cryptography and of course nowadays if you are in cryptography somehow you're in cryptocurrency yes maybe i i will get bitten up by somebody by saying that but i mean it's mostly the case the research is highly focused on cryptocurrency nowadays and also it's um it also spans over distributed systems uh, a lot of research has been done in the past uh, and now we have we are using theorems that were maybe not uh, so used in the past, but are really uh, essential to the well-being of the blockchain. And and so that's how I got into uh, into privacy preserving cryptocurrencies and Monero. So were you were you in these fields before like the advent of Bitcoin or? Was it? Because I guess it kind of depends on your age. I don't know how old you are, but were you? Uh, well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, okay. I wish I was, but yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, no, I wasn't. Uh, before two thousand eight. Uh, well, I know some of my friends with the same age that were already into uh, kind of into this world, but I wasn't, to be honest, to be perfectly okay. honest. Okay, so you were just kind of, I guess, more in the general math math realm, computer science. And then you, yes, you, yes. you into more specifically cryptography, blockchain, things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, so when 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 Bitcoin came on the scene, were you were you there? Uh, you know, in somewhat the early days, looking at it, was it was it on your radar in terms of a? Uh, yeah. To, to be perfectly honest, I was highly curious of the, what the technology was, and. At that point, I didn't have the the background that I have today, but everybody can actually read the white paper of uh, Nakamoto, and it's not it's it's not a technical paper. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody has, can understand it, but if you take it from technical point of view, it also makes sense. And then some researchers made it into a technical paper. You have the Bitcoin backbone paper that is highly technical. But yeah, I, I was there reading at it, and I remember, uh, I remember even there was an event about uh, the dollar Bitcoin parity, one dollar uh, to one uh, uh, Bitcoin parity. Uh, I, this was some kind of big event. Uh, I remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that that's what sticks out in your mind is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, it does. What, so when did you first start to take, I guess, Bitcoin seriously? I guess once you read the, the white paper, is that something you did right away when you discovered it? Or were you more like, like, like me, for example, I heard about it. I, ne I never stopped. It took me some time to stop to read the white paper. Once I did, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but for you, maybe from considering you're coming from that intellectual area, is that something you did early on? Stop, read the white paper, comprehend it. To be frank, um, I well, I started like reading about it a little bit with other sources, but then uh, ultimately I came to read the white paper. That's not the first thing that I did, to be honest. So uh, I remember reading blogs, talking about it, explaining because technology is is really uh, difficult to apprehend if you. Well, even for computer scientists, it's not something uh, trivial to understand. So, uh, I, of course, like everybody, I, uh, at first I, uh, I read so, uh, some content on blogs, on YouTube, then ultimately I read this white paper. So how would you explain Bitcoin? What's your, your kind of your uh, analysis of Bitcoin? What, what is it? What would you explain Bitcoin as being? Well, uh, some of my friends, uh, non-tech savvy friends, asked me this question. I basically said that it was a well, it's a ledger, it's it's a database, and it's it's distributed across the world, and also it's decentralized. That means that there is no uh, centralized entity that can say, oh, uh, that can have control over it. That's that's kind of the selling point of the blockchain because. Um, well, I don't know exactly if uh, the story holds, but it came after uh, it came after the big uh, crisis in two thousand eight with centralized entities that messed it up a little bit the the financial system, and so with the decentralized system, it's people that actually m kind of make the rules. But of us, of course, we need some mechanisms so that a person cannot take multiple identities in uh, in this uh, big and large database that record the, the, the history of uh, each transaction. So we need some mechanism to make sure that a person cannot, um, cannot take X identities and take power of, over the blockchain. So Nakamoto came with the proof of work. So it's basically one CPU is equal to one vote. Of course, it's not exactly it nowadays, but it's base principle. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have, well, 10 CPUs, you can't have 10 identities. But so, uh, well, scaling your vote is difficult. That's basically the base principle. And that's to avoid so-called Sybil attacks where a person, 
take multiple identities out of thin air. And so those people that are voting actually are um, deciding on the the ordering of the transactions, which is uh, which is a big deal in blockchain because you you record transaction. If somebody pays something uh, a coin before someone, it can have different. Uh, it, it can have like the, uh, a different history. It can have different consequences towards. Um, towards our subsequent transactions. So also that's the difficulty of a blockchain is that you don't have this centralized entity that decide on the tra uh, transaction ordering. You have multiple entities that decide that must have a consensus on this transaction ordering. That's actually what's also difficult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, obviously, given given the nature the nature of Bitcoin's implementation, it's essentially it's essentially uh, lacking uh, in in privacy because of its transparent blockchain. Yes, yes. yes of course. Um, so at first, uh, a lot of uh, people thought, okay, there is no centralized entity with Bitcoin, so there is no control. But then there were lots of people, lots of researchers that said, hey, be careful because any coin can be traced back to its origin. And if you if you want to, to do illegal, to conduct illegal transactions on that, uh, or not even if you want to be private, uh, to have privacy, right? Well, just be careful because any uh, government entity will be able to trace you back and, uh, and know what you're doing there. And so at some point, people uh, came with mixers, uh, well, centralized mixers, but also decentralized mixers with, um, with uh, for example, CoinJoin, then Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash was uh, made illegal uh, recently, a few years ago in Thanks. the US. Yes. Thanks. And, um, but also those, um, those uh, privacy enhancing uh, mechanisms do not, uh, well, they do not increase the base privacy of the chain. And at some point, well, we had CryptoNote, and then we had also Monero, and we had Zcash that have, well, Zcash is a bit uh, particular because it also has a transparent pool. But basically, we have some, so, some, uh, built-in privacy in the chain, and I, I'd argue that this this privacy uh, in a decentralized cryptocurrency is one of the major obstacles to the widespread adoption of of a cryptocurrency. Because I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see uh, as of yet a widespread adoption of the cryptocurrency. I don't see my friends. Uh, uh, um, um, paying with Bitcoin, paying with Monero um, every day. I, I I don't receive my salary uh, in Monero or in Bitcoin. So I believe people are so afraid of the that everybody could see the trans, uh, their transactions. That's something, else, of course, that we don't want to. I, I don't want people to know how much I have in my bank account or if I went to this place to have a burger or that's something uh, that's not desirable. So with, with privacy preserving uh, um, 
cryptocurrencies such as Monero, we, we can like deal with this obstacle. Now, also there are also other companies that try to break privacy in Monero. So, so that's also one, one problem because, well, there are illegal activities that are taking place and well, I believe it's, it, it might be a, a very narrow percentage of the whole transactions, but some agencies want to know what's going on on those chains and some companies, they want to trace, um, they want to trace the transaction on privacy preserving chains. And that's, uh, that's what my work is actually about. It's uh, measuring the privacy on those chains and then being able to compare the privacy guarantees of multiple chains saying, oh, you want this privacy, so go there, but be aware that there will be these drawbacks and that drawback. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, we'll get, in, <laughs> get into that. We'll get into your, your paper as well. So when did you kind of become obsessed with this particular concept in cryptocurrency, in blockchain? Uh, was it... Was it right away when you got to understanding Bitcoin where you're like, wait a minute, this thing is, it's, it's missing one vital piece. Uh, it's not private. It's, it's only pseudonymous. It's not going to actually function well as money because nobody's going to want to have their transactions tracked and traced all the time. Was that something that kind of hit you right away? That's what got you into this field? I'm just, I'm just curious how you became obsessed about this particular aspect of cryptocurrency. Well, first, uh, I think privacy in general, not only in cryptocurrency, is very important. And I think nowadays all data are taken, uh, well, everywhere we go, right? I mean, uh, you have a phone, it takes so much data out of you and they are sold to the highest bidder. So that's one point outside of the cryptocurrency world that I'm, I'm sensitive to, actually. I'm trying, well, it's difficult to, to be fully privacy uh, aware and privacy focused in this world because, of course, there are some barriers if you want to go there and they, you have to go to make an account and disclose some of your data and, well, so I'm, I'm also concerned with some technologies that could improve the privacy and in general, outside of the cryptocurrency world. But now in the cryptocurrency, it's amazing because we have a decentralized way of um, of conducting transactions. And if we have privacy uh, uh, as uh, in addition, well, this is even better. So to answer your question, well, I'm concerned with privacy in general, but now privacy in cryptocurrency is even better. <laughs> because, well, also, well, without money, we don't do much in this world. So that's kind of um, that's kind of a big obstacle to our privacy, the, the, the paying me, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're not private when paying something or when conducting transaction, how can you be further private? You're you're not right. So that's kind of a uh, well, uh, I would say a basis to one's privacy. Mm. Especially now, right? As we move into the digital age, uh, cash is effectively being eliminated. We're gonna we're gonna have no way to transact privately if we don't have tools like Monero, right, in place. 
Yeah, cash is uh, slowly fading out, right? I mean, I, I'm, me myself, I'm less and less using cash, also yeah. because it's a bit less practical. And mm -hmm. also some states are, I don't know about US, but in the EU, states are actually quite limiting nowadays the, the transactions in cash. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that in the Netherlands, uh, now transactions in cash are quite limited due to drug trafficking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the, in the States, uh, people are just kind of uh, on their own opting out of cash, right? Like you said, out of convenience more than anything else. Uh, yes. But obviously, you know, the, the governments are, are, are happy that it's moving in that direction. And I'm sure they would take steps otherwise if they didn't see it moving in that direction. And they and they slowly are taking those steps in addition. Um, you, you did mention one thing and, I, you know, maybe I would uh, slightly push back here. Um, you know, you're mentioning that uh, people... People are, are, you know, most people don't want to use cryptocurrency because it's not private. Uh, while I certainly agree with that, and I'm that person, and you're that person, unfortunately, I think most people just don't realize it. Um, you know, they yeah, just that's the problem. They don't even know. They don't even realize that Bitcoin isn't private. And then, additionally, uh, though a lot of them that do, I don't even think realize the real importance of it. They almost don't mind because they've been conditioned to not really care about privacy, right? They're used to using PayPal and Venmo, whatever it is. And in their mind, they're like, well, as long as it's instant and the fees are, are low, uh, it's good enough for me. I'll use that. I'll use that technology. Just any, any words on that? I mean, do you see that as a problem? So not only creating a privacy crypto, creating it in a way where people opt into using it as a tool despite you know what might be competing against it that might you know be easier or offer something else well yes i, I think some people are not aware that bitcoin is fully traceable and doesn't offer any meaningful privacy but i think bitcoin well just as a side note bitcoin is not designed this way did it it's just they. I think they are not going to end any privacy enhancing mechanism because this is not the purpose of of this of of this cryptocurrency. But yeah, people need to be made aware that um, if they want to be private by con uh, when conducting transactions, they need to use another cryptocurrency. And but I think people in this world are all. Uh, generally not aware of their privacy and also what the consequences are of privacy of well of non-privacy right because if a person discloses all uh, of our data on the on the on the net it could have damage damaging consequences and that in general but if we think of conducting transactions uh fully transparently could have even more damaging uh, consequences in my opinion. So in general, I would say people need to be aware of privacy and even more if they use cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good segue. We can, I say we get into, get into the presentation, right? Um, this is, this is some heavy stuff. If you want to maybe give a quick 
kind of overview of what you were trying to achieve in the presentation, and then I could ask questions, and maybe we could look at look at some look at some of the slides. So, um, as you know, uh, we may have well, privacy has has different faces uh, in cryptocurrencies, and um, now the problem is that even in research, some terms are used interchangeably to to actually mean uh, the other thing, and and this is not exactly clear what, for example, unlinkability is or what untraceability is. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to formally define what those two terms were, and for that I needed a model and. Uh, we thought of uh, the PDAG, the Privacy Preserving uh, trans uh, Directed Acyclic Graph. And it sounds a bit exotic indeed, but uh, it's, think of a graph uh, and that's actually illustrate transactions. And more of an illustration, we can have a mathematical notation beneath this, um, this illustration. And this mathematical notation allows us to define those two terms I talked about, namely unlinkability and untraceability. And then, so you you use the you use those basic concepts to then uh, analyze the transaction graphs of different blockchains like Bitcoin, yes. Euro, Zcash. Mm -hmm. um, before we get into more detail. What is your your overall findings? I mean, I, have you analyzed? Obviously, you've you've looked at Bitcoin, you've looked at Monero, you've you've looked at Zcash. Have you looked at others? And and what is your current finding as terms of? We'll, we'll just jump to this chase of of which one you think currently has the the best untraceability and unlinkability. Well, let's begin with Bitcoin. Bitcoin has no unlinkability and has no untraceability. And we can uh, increase the unlinkability property of Bitcoin by using privacy enhancing mechanisms such as conjoin. Um, and that's according to my defi definitions. Some might say that conjoin provide untraceability. But according to our definition, well, conjoin only provide unlinkability to some extent. Um, now, um, we can speak of Ethereum. Ethereum is basically the same uh, as Bitcoin uh, in terms of privacy. Uh, out of the box, it doesn't provide any meaningful level of privacy. But you have Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash is much more potent than uh, CoinJoin uh, in the sense that you need to prove in, uh, in a zero-knowledge fashion, so you don't disclose any uh, binding data that you actually, at some point, um, uh, put some money in the mixer. And you, you prove that in zero-knowledge fashion, so that means that when you withdraw, there is no way of, um, of linking uh, the, the address that put money in the mixer and the one that withdrew. Mm -hmm. So that's that's some big deal here. And um, but and that's one of the reasons why it was banned in the US, right? I, I think because it was used for, um, as they said on the, the websites, that it was used by a, a Korean, uh, a North Korean hacking group, right? 
Uh, now, um, let's speak about Monero. Monero has ring signature. Now, ring signature is of size 16, it's going to be 128, right? And so that's the, the untraceability set. So here we have untraceability. And uh, so we are uh, untraceable among 128 with, uh, with a ring signature of this size. And we are also unlinkable because we use um, because we use uh, one-time addresses. And also we might argue that untraceability helps in blurring the transaction graph. Now, if we talk about Zcash, the Zcash has a transparent pool. Transparent pool, it pretty much um, uh, behaves like Bitcoin. So in this transparent pool, it's no meaningful level of privacy. Uh, in the shielded pool, however, we have uh, a full membership proof for uh, the intraceability feature, which is much more potent in, um, in providing untraceability um, because the, the untraceability set is the set of all previously um, produced states, as I call it in, in, in our work, but uh, states are addresses, are shielded addresses. So it's much more potent. And in terms of unlikability, um, an analogous uh, mechanism is used as in Monero. So both provide kind of the same level of privacy in that regard. But untraceability, I would say uh, shielded uh, pool of Zcash is quite potent. But then it come, the, the mechanism that is used also comes with caveats. I mean, um, ring signature provides um, some um, some other features uh, that are not captured by the PDAG. So um, and also Zcash uh, needed for a long time uh, a trusted setup, which also raised some questions. Mm -hmm. we, and yes, so that's another thing that is unfortunately not captured by my model. How about the the opt-in uh, nature of Zcash versus Monero, which is default using ring signatures and stealth addresses as opposed to Zcash where you can use it transparently or you can use it obfuscated? Does that tie into its overall untraceability and unlinkability? Well, this opt-in nature of course, uh, if you if you if you have some interaction between the shielded and the transparent pool, you might lose some unlinkability. So this opt-in nature is responsible for a decrease of privacy indeed, and a decrease of unlinkability in that regard, if I use the terms in the model. So yeah, that's the interaction between the transparent uh, and the shielded pool that is responsible for uh, a decrease in unlinkability. I'm gonna go ahead and bring up the your slides. I'll, I'll add yes, those. please, go ahead. Um, yeah, if you want to kind of go through this, you know, maybe perhaps in a little bit more detail, and I can ask some questions as we go. I noticed, so you discuss untraceability, unlinkability, and so untraceability is really when we're talking about, you know, ring signatures, obfuscating the, the signer of a transaction, um, and then uh, unlinkability is really more of the, the stealth addresses, right? Is if you're yes. looking in terms of Monero, um, 
why why uh, why why didn't you discuss for example the like amounts like um obfuscating amounts like confidential transactions um does that doesn't i would i would think that that, that obviously adds uh, an additional deterrent right to somebody who's trying to gain gain information on how how people are using the system and who's sending what to whom i think that that's a very good point um you know i used to uh, well let me just go through my slides. So th this work, I just, I'm just uh, also naming the other authors because I'm not alone in this work. Okay. Uh, this work is a joint work with uh, Jipeng Wang, Duke Vila and Christian Kasha. And so I had this model. So this was the intro at Monero Cone. I was speaking about the evil empire tr trying to analyze the blockchain, mm -hmm. you know, and so the the rebellion used Monero as a resistance group. So this was uh, this was to just also showcase that people using privacy. Because I, I talk about the bad guys uh, in this talk earlier, but it's also talk about the good guys, and that that's what that's uh, what it was about this intro. Also, people using Monero. Are the good guys, right? <laughs> right? And you give an example of uh, Leia, and she's giving financial support to some resistance group, some right. some minority group that the state currently does not like. Um, is you know is she at risk if she uses Bitcoin, for example, to try to fund this fund this resistant group versus using Monero or Zcash or something? Right? Yeah, I think that was an essential essential point because also. Governments are trying to make us think that, well, those, the privacy preserving technologies uh, that are used are only used by the criminals. The, yeah, like Signal, for example, I've heard that in some countries they are trying to ban the Signal Messenger messaging app. Mm -hmm. And I use that as every day. I don't consider myself as a criminal. So <laughs> that's, right. I, I think that's, that's important to state it. Uh, uh, the beginning of the presentation, but um, I also close the door when I go to the bathroom, right? I, you know, <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's a weird thing. I don't know, but it's just for some reason I do it I, automatically. I don't know why. <laughs> so yes, if we ban those technologies, we are probably this. We are probably uh, punishing the law-abiding citizens. But I think the criminal activities will be displaced somewhere else. If we ban the privacy preserving cryptocurrencies, criminals will find another way to conduct uh, such activities. But law abiding citizens will have a hard time to remain private. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yes, that was also to, in that theme. But let's go back to the, t uh, the PDAG. That's so, PDAG looks, looks like this actually. It's a transaction graph that is made of vertices and edges. The vertices are the circles and also the squares mm -hmm. and the edges are the arrows. And I use this model. So here uh, I extend upon uh, the TDAG, which is the transaction directed acyclic graph by Cachin et al. And I extend it to uh, with other components to capture the privacy preserving uh, mechanism. And so I use um, I use masking edges. Uh, if I may, there 
I use masking edges, the wobbly edge, to, to actually um, illustrate that a person spend a coin in, in an oblivious manner. So you, you don't disclose that you're spending a coin. You're hidden by the members of the ring's signature, for example. Whereas if you use a ring signature, the other people are not spending, the other people in the ring signature are not spending the coin. So they would use an observing edge. I don't know if we see the, uh, the cursor of my mouse though. Uh, no, I don't believe we do. So uh, in the middle, there is the, the observing edge. Um, for the people that do not spend the coin in the ring's uh, signature, and on the right, there is the wobbly edge, the masking edge for the person that is actually spending the coin. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. And that was one of my extension. But also, when you're spending a, a coin in Monero, you need to make sure that, uh, since you cannot see that you're spending this coin, you need to make sure that this coin will not be spent a second time. And in Monero, we use key images for that, right? Mm -hmm. And I needed an extra component uh, to, to actually uh, illustrate that and also capture that. And this is the nullifier. So this nullifies the coin without disclosing uh, the coin. And this is depicted as a diamond here, as, you can, as we can see uh, on the figure. Okay. And so, so we have an adversary that that's sees the PDAG, that sees this graph, and that tries to de-anonymize, um, that tries either to break unlinkability, I'll come back to, uh, to that later, and untraceability. And well, this adversary, well, we can imagine as, uh, we can imagine the adversary as being well, for example, an agency, a government ag agency, or um, for example, uh, there are companies that take care of that, that take care of de-anonymizing people uh, on, uh, on, on the uh, blockchain, on cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. But we're also giving extra power to, get to this adversary to fit in a model and not to care about also other cryptographic, um, uh, well, uh, constructs to give, to have enough abstraction to the model to capture any, uh, blockchain. So let me speak, uh, about untraceability. So I'm going to take each time the example of Monero, since I believe, uh, people are, that are listening to us, uh, are familiar with the technology of Monero. So in Monero, like I said, we, we use a ring signature 
And in that example, I use a rig signature of three, uh, even though it's not possible anymore, but that's for the example. So just to go back uh, to, to, to the model, we have um, states that are coins actually, and a witness. A witness is um, the, it represents the blockchain validation rules. For example, in order to spend that coin, you need to prove that it's yours, right? Um, um, you do that by signing the ring signature with your private key in Monero. And if you have um, if you have this ring signature, the the people that are not spending are actually uh, their coins are actually uh, linked with an observing edge on. So here we spend the coin, there is a masking edge. And here we, uh, the people do not spend the coin. They, are, they don't even know they are part of this transaction. Plausible deniability, that's another, um, that's the, the property I was um, actually trying to find earlier in the talk. That uh, other uh, untraceability mechanism do not provide necessarily. But so we have this graph here but the adversary only sees observing edges. That's the thing, right? Because the, the adversary doesn't see who spends what, doesn't see um, the masking edge. And we call, we actually call uh, the union of observing and masking edges, the, the set of ambiguous edges, because, well, we don't know if they are masking or or observing edges, they are ambiguous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this actually, um, so that's the adversary. The adversary is trying to compromise the untraceability. And I'm going to skip that. But just to say that, well, this, this, um, this set of ambiguous, uh, this set of states linked with ambiguous edges, this form the um, the untraceability set of a transaction. Okay. And we say that um, a, a transaction is k untraceable when there are k such states. So, for example, uh, in Monero nowadays, this k sixteen. Mm -hmm. Um. And so we would be 16 untraceable. And I, I don't know if, um, if that was clear enough, um, the model and uh, this notion already. I hope it was. Yeah, yeah. So far, so far, I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm following. I don't know to, to, if I'm following you deep enough. Um, and then so... But you make some comment with with the core G G needing to be larger than the core G. Maybe maybe you want to get to that. Get, explain that. Yes, true. I, I skipped that. Uh, the the slides that I skipped. Basically, um, this this untraceability sets uh, needs to be fixed in the sense that uh, there are some mechanisms that can. Um, with some analysis of the graph that can uh, trim edges from mm. from um, from this uh, from the ambiguous edges. 
And so if you trim those edges, you have another graph. You have another, a subset of the graph, and this subset of the graph is called the core. So if you, if you decompose the graph and you are able to, to this some ambiguous edges, you will end up with a subset of this graph. This subset of the graph is called the core. When you're not able to, to trim edges anymore, well, you only have the core. And so we only consider the core. So after trimming edges, after trimming possible edges for this untraceability set. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you well, it happened in the past uh, when um, Monero didn't have a fixed size ring signature. Some people, uh, by using a, a ring size of one, would accidentally um, de-anonymize people with subsequent transactions because well, you could directly know that these uh, these uh, coins would be spent because they had a ring signature of one, and if they would be taken as the input of a subsequent ring signature, well, we know that we knew that we could trim this edge, and this would reduce the untraceability set. And this is, uh, by the way, uh, not my work, the, the work of the, uh, that, that defines the core. What, well, the core has been defined mathematically in 1958 uh, by Dolmich and Mendelssohn. Hmm. Um, but this work of um, reducing the graph uh, is work by Vijaya Kamaran, uh, a researcher. So okay. I took this work and uh, I applied it to the PDAG. Hmm. How how is it you, you know when you, you kind of gloss over that when when you're reducing the 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 edges what what methods are being used there to reduce these edges? So what method is used is you you take the the, the transaction graph and you you're actually forming a bipartite graph uh, of the states linked either with masking or an observing edge well the adversary doesn't know so it's ambiguous edges and then you are um only concerned with the maximum the union of uh, the maximum matchings which we see here actually so the maximum matching here are highlighted in red, blue, and um, the, there are two maximum matchings, but this edge here belongs to, to both of the maximum matchings. And we see that um, those two edges here um, on the right um, that are not colored are not part of the maximum matching. And so they can be trimmed because we know for a fact that um, each coin that is actually the spender of a transaction is necessarily part of a maximum matching of the graph. So we can directly trim the edges uh, that are not part of any maximum matching. So that's the first trimming that we, we can do. And if we observe the, the results of this analysis, 
is that here we would have well no untraceability at all because we would be able to remove the the masking edges that were linked to w3 and that we would see on the right uh, coming from s1 and s2 and so there would be no untraceability in that case because the k needs to be greater uh, than one strictly greater than one because there is no such thing as an untraceability set of one that's mm -hmm. that doesn't exist so how about things like you know we we hear about um poison outputs and eve alice eve attacks in monero these are are basic uh you know weaknesses that ring signatures has how does that how does that play into into all this or does it or, or you weren't even considering these things uh i i was i was also considering these things and but i think that well this model doesn't cap well the big thing is that um this graph is dependent on the sampling uh of the ring mm -hmm. if you don't sample the the ring um in 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 a proper way you could end up with a bad graph now if you sample uniformly from all the coins you could um also take um two old uh, or coins that are too old that um well not considered in the graph because they are mostly spent already however the pdac doesn't capture that because it doesn't have uh, it's not a probabilistic model it's a deterministic model you you remember uh, at some point um there was a problem because we would sample from the full history we would sample coins from the full history for the ring signature mm -hmm. that would uh that would raise problem because we knew that coins that were old were actually less of a candidate to be spent in subsequent transactions since they were most likely already spent however the PDAC doesn't capture that unfortunately but we could uh, extend that with probability probably on the edges and that might be for a future work So what do you think in terms of, practically speaking, Monero's uh, traceability? I mean, we have chain analysis companies that are out there claiming that they, they can trace Monero's in ways, at least uh, probabilistically. What is your, your viewpoint of that? To what degree do you think they are perhaps tracing Monero, if at all? Well, it gets harder and harder with the updates of Monero protocol, core protocol, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a ring signature of size 16 and you have a better sampling algorithm, which is now the case with the sampling algorithm, some researchers uh, have highlighted the problem that I, um, that I talked about uh, uh, earlier. Uh, it has been fixed now, and so it gets harder and harder. Maybe, trans well, tra the transaction history is immutable. So if you have transactions in the past, maybe they, they, they can still be de-anonymized with uh, a previous version of uh, the protocol. But 
as we advance and as we update the crawl protocol, well, it gets harder and harder for those enterprises. So you think you think over? I mean, it's a cat. It's a cat and mouse game. Um, do you think overall Monero has an advantage due to just kind of the the, the way the technology works? Uh, we have encryption on our side. I mean, do you think ultimately Monero or whatever crypto it ends up being, there is there, it is possible to to live in a world with essentially an untraceable cryptocurrency that that will be cash like or do you think chain analysis companies with with the funding and the backing of governments will always be able to unravel things to some degree well i i, I want to well if cat and mouse uh, well if the the crypt well there is also one difference between the cryptographic the cryptography uh, on paper, the math description, mathematical description of cryptography and its implementation. There might be some uh, backdoors in the implementation that we don't know of. That's another question. Now, what I highlight in this model is the, the, the analysis of the graph. And I think it, it gets harder and harder. And if we implement full membership proof, it will, in my opinion, I might be wrong, but it might it might get impossible for those companies. They might rely on some some uh, backdoor in the um, in the implementation of the uh, cryptographic protocols. But otherwise, the, the graph uh, is getting sol more solid by by the days because the community is also there uh, peer reviewing the code and, and the protocol is constantly being updated. So cat and mouse, I'm not sure. I, I think at some point what might be the issue is that if it gets too solid, the, the government might just say, okay, it's banned. Right, I guess that, that was my follow-up question. Is that, is that your field? Do you think... Um... Governments may may just take it to that level. Well, Tornado Cash got banned. And the person uh, behind it, well, the developer is not even a criminal. It's a developer. This person ended up in prison mm -hmm. in the Netherlands. It's pretty bad. I mean, yeah. So yeah. yeah, the governments might go to that that length to actually, yeah, to to prohibit those kind of uh, technologies. In my opinion. I mean, there are arguably some differences between Tornado Cash and Monero in terms of them being technologies with no benefactors, right? Um, that, that's obviously Tornado Cash was was kind of decentralized, unstoppable in its own way, but effectively there was a there was a group of people that were directly benefiting from the use of the system, and that's legally where the government really. Or is coming down on them, but we don't know, right? Tomorrow, the U.S. government can just try to sanction Monero and use, you know, uh, use some other logic, right? Or, or you yeah. know, so we, we don't really know how that's going to play out. But currently, it does it does appear that there's arguably a difference between systems like Monero that are 
truly open source protocols, projects with no central authority benefiting in any way. Nobody, nobody's gaining from the, the use of the system. Um, the developers are people, a lot of them anonymously contributing. They're not getting paid per transaction, not getting per percentage of the transaction fees in any way. Uh, they're just contributing to this open source utility. Uh, but yeah, we don't know how governments are going to, you know, if they're just going to throw the constitution or whatever, whatever rules they have out the window and just say, you know what, we're, we're banning this. We, 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 I guess we, we don't know, right? To what degree? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, I think maybe the U.S. has, has some, uh, some better legs to stand on than, than Europe, uh, in terms of upholding a technology like Monero, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Either. Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into the uh, unlinkability aspect? Yes, we can. So basically, the the slides afterwards were basically me saying that uh, basically what I just said is that well, we are the ring signature of uh, sixteen, so sixteen in traceability, and Zika shielded pool as an untraceability of P being the P being all the previously produced uh, states, states which are shielded addresses in that case. Mm -hmm. So for to speak about unlinkability, so as you may know it, uh, for example, in Bitcoin, we used to advise people to change, well, we still advise them because it, it has some impact to change the addresses, uh, well, regularly, uh, even at each transaction. And some part of the early research on this de-anonymization was clustering those addresses. So in a nutshell, saying those two addresses, they belong to the same entity. And as it turns out, they were quite su successful. And then came CoinJoin, and well, this provided some unlinkability. So unlinkability is that for any two addresses, it is impossible to prove they belong to the same entity. And so for that, we define a link relation that is an equivalence uh, relation on the states. So the states are the addresses and this L is like a ground truth. So we usually don't know this ground truth. Uh, so, and we write S, I, L, S, J when S, I, and S, J are linked. So they belong to the same entity. So now we have the address relation. The address relation is also, is also a ground truth is a refinement of the link relation. That means it's a subset. And um, that means two addresses, uh, two addresses, uh, two states of the same address. So it's like a trivial re relation because in Bitcoin, if you take two states with the same address, they are linked. And it's in, the, in that sense, it is a refinement of the link relation. This is a trivial one for the adversary. And that's why also we have one-time addresses in Monero. 
So the goal of, of the adversary is to identify the states that belong together. As you can see here, you have the little, uh, little adversary and it tries to, to say S0 be, uh, and S1 belongs uh, together. They, they are linked and all the way to S30. And to do that, uh, well, in the literature, I usually used uh, heuristics to as inferred uh, relations. So inferred relations, so you have the L tilt. This is like kind of a, an approximation of the, the relation of the ground truth. So if we use it, we might be right by using that, or we might be totally wrong. I mean, this might be totally the case that those, are, those states belong together, or this might not be the case. If this is not the case, then we have privacy. But if this is the case, we have no privacy, right? Mm. And so, for example, uh, in Bitcoin, one typical, uh, the, the most studied heuristic, that's the multiple input heuristic, that's to say that all the states uh, taken as input to one transaction are actually linked together. And it works pretty well. The research uh, has analyzed this heuristic and we know it has, um, well, um, it, it approximates quite well L. So this L tilde approximates quite well the, the, uh, the link relation, the ground truth. And so here we, we can see that here in the figure, uh, in the Venn diagram that I have, you have like a stripped area. And this stripped area is, area is, um, is the privacy we have. In the, um, the gray area, we have um, the, the, the states that the adversary is able to, to link together and that are in fact linked together. And we can see that in this uh, dark uh, uh, gray area, there is also the address, uh, the, the, the states with the same address. However, in the strip area, these are the states that are uh, linked together by the adversary, but are in fact not linked at all. So this is where we actually exploit privacy. And so the unlinkability set is not like the previous one where we could say, okay, we have K, um, we have K states, so we have a K uh, untraceability set. Here, the unlinkability set is not that trivial. So we cannot uh, just count uh, the states there. We need to count the, the, uh, the amount of pairs. And we devise the unlinkability score that are, this is the ratio of unlinked pairs over the total amount of pairs. And so if you have an unlinkability score of one, that means, well, you, you have a, a pretty good privacy. And you have, if you have an unlinkability score of zero, that means you have no privacy at all, that you're fully linked by the adversary. And 
here we 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 say that about um, a, a PDAG. So a state S of a PDAG is U unlinkable if um, all the um, all the uh, the states in that PDAG are actually U unlinkable, and U unlinkable means that you have an unlinkability score greater than zero. That means you have at least some privacy because U is equal to zero. You don't have any privacy. You're fully linked. But U is greater than zero. That's good. Well, U is equal to one is the best. And we say for a PDAG that uh, it's U unlinkable if or only if all the states in S or so in all the states of the PDAG are at least U unlinkable according to an inferred relation L. And I spoke about the, this conjoint thing that I talked about earlier, where we can devise the uh, unlinkability score. And I gave an example as well. So this is the unlinkability score of conjoint here. So this is the interval, because of course we cannot, um, we don't have the ground truth in that case. It depends heavily on the inference that is used. And for Monero, we use one-time addresses. So basically the, the states with the same addresses is only one state uh, in that case. So it's all, there, is, there are no two same addresses in the ledger. And also, I talk about um, one uh, heuristic that was uh, formulated by Kumar et al. And that basically states that if you have two outputs um, uh, out of a transaction and are used in two distinct um, of a single transaction, it could have some, uh, that's one heuristic, and you could assume in that case that, uh, well, some uh, states were linked. Mm. And I quantified the unlinkability score of this, um, of, of, of this uh, inferred relation of Kumar et al. It just looks like that. Looks a bit exotic again, but here are the states uh, of input. You intersect that with the state as, as output, and you remove the states of the, the same ring and the states of the, the ground truth. You have here all the states that are linked. That are not linked, my bad. And, and then that was my conclusion. So what what was your unlinkability score of like you know of Bitcoin versus Monero, for example, just to kind of give a general understanding there? So we would need an inferred relation, uh, and we would need the ground truth to truly measure it. But definitely, there exist way more heuristics for Bitcoin. So we have the possibility to cluster and to uh, have a way better inferred linking relation than in Monero.
but a number I, I cannot tell because it depends um, well on the ground truth, which nobody has. Mm -hmm. So in, in your conclusion, you, met, you, you, you question how much privacy is enough privacy. So that is a good question. Where, where, yes. do, you, where do you stand <laughs> on that? Well, I think also we have to think that those privacy enhancing mechanisms, they tend to be slower. They tend to have like some caveats. Like for example, Monero, we cannot have any light clients. That's, well, we could, we can have light clients by relying on a trusted server. But we cannot have a light client in the sense that we need uh, to, we, to, to rely only on the client itself. We need to download the chain and to, to make sure uh, to retrieve our, our outputs ourselves. Right, unless somebody's Whereas, running their own light wallet server or something. Yes, yes, we need a trusted server, but we we still need to have to offload the computation to a, to a server. But I mean, this is this is one caveat that we have with privacy preserving with untraceability, uh, at least. And how much privacy is enough privacy? Well, we could ask how much do we want, how much also usability. And also we, we may have other problems uh, with privacy preserving mechanism in terms of scalability because, well, the, the, um, since we cannot trim the, the coins that are spent in the history, the, um, the history tends to grow a bit larger than with uh, non-privacy preserving uh, cryptocurrencies. So that's also one question we want to ask, but how much privacy is enough privacy only by considering privacy itself? Well, we probably want full membership proof. We probably want an unlinkability score of one and yes, but then we need to think also what's the cost of this privacy in terms of computation, in terms of storage, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see you mentioned you mentioned fungibility there. What is your you know analysis with regards to fungibility? Um, obviously, you didn't go into detail on that, but would you would you define something like Monero as being fungible versus? Yeah, well, fungibility I would say is is kind of a mixture of unlinkability and untraceability, and of course, I would deem I haven't. Uh, given it a formal thought, so I cannot say for sure. Uh, we we could definitely fit it in the model, but well, it's definitely more fungible than Bitcoin, of course. So, is it fully fungible? What's fully fungible mean? Well, I, I like I said, I, I I didn't give it a formal thought, but definitely more fungible than any transparent uh, currency, uh, cryptocurrency. Fantastic, man. Uh, a little, little over an hour here. Um, you know, got, got my brain working early in the morning. I was <laughs> trying to get enough, down enough coffee to keep up with you. Uh, <laughs> what's next for you? What do you, wh where is your research taking you? So next for me is finishing the PhD. Uh, PhD um, in Switzerland usually lasts four years. 
Um, so, well, then I want to also dive into, because this work I uh, defined privacy. I defined several phases of privacy. Now also I want to work on uh, devising some privacy enhancing mechanism, maybe that could fit uh, Monero at some point. Let's, let's hope it would, but yes, that's one plan. Other plans are also maybe to prove that, um, uh, like I said, there, there are some scalability issues, things that we cannot do uh, with privacy enhancing mechanism. Uh, the question is, can we prove that? So that's also one word. Francois, thank you so much, man. Where can people <laughs> follow you, learn more about you, see what you're working on? Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. If you, if you want to put information out there, uh, I don't know, your Twitter or any, any blog or anything, any, anywhere where people can Unfortunately, learn. Unfortunately, I don't have Twitter, nor I, do I have a blog, but I would be happy to, to, to write a blog uh, in the coming months or year. Uh, that, that's one plan uh, okay. I have. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. Fantastic. This was great. Thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. I'm sure. I hope to see you maybe at the next MoneroCon. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. we can get you out of MoneroTopia, but I don't know. That would be a little far free. We're going to try to do that in Buenos Aires, at like a year from now. Oh, um, very nice. That's, very nice. That might be far from you. Uh, but yeah, it, but th that's manageable. Oh, okay. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And that that gives you some time to make some uh, to make some. You know, new breakthroughs. You got, you got, you got a year. Yes, you let's, got a year. <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, it might be tight. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, here's a crazy question. Do you ever envision yourself potentially working for like a chain analysis company or something? Uh, I mean, is that uh, as you, as you become specialized in this area, is that kind of the inevitable uh, hmm. route? That's a good question. Well, um, well, it's still far away, me being in the industry, but working in a chain analysis uh, company to work for the good, I would, I would say, why not? To say, to, to enhance the, the base protocol, I would say, why not? But then working with agencies, working with governments to, um, to well de-anonymize law-abiding citizens, I would be against that, to be honest. That's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> with that one. I started here again. <laughs> no, no, that is, that's a good question. The the way I've always looked at it, though, right? It's uh, it's it's really not the fault of the chain analysis companies, right? They're gonna that's capitalism and, and people finding their own way. We really need to just build systems that are anti-fragile that, that, you know, can't be tracked or traced by these companies. Right. So it's, it's really, yeah, I believe that as well yes. to develop that tech, not to, not to blame the, these companies that are trying to trace them because they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. I agree with that. All right, Francois. Thank you so much, man. We'll, we'll call Thanks a lot. Cheers, buddy. Yes. Hi, Mineraland. 
Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to Monero Talked Out Live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.